This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. Welcome to a Monday edition of the podcast. That's Mailbag. We've, uh, we've arrived to the final week of the regular season. Um, as crazy as that sounds, as wild as it sounds, it's been a fast season. And we're going to get maybe one of the best games of the year this week with Oregon and Oregon State. And I think that's what this mailbag is going to be not all focused on, but the big picture stuff, big season, big, you know, big questions. Yeah, there's just a lot on the table for Oregon, and, and we're going to have questions discussing a lot of it here. We're going to start with one that I thought was kind of a good barometer check from I think it's the first time question asker, at least the first time we've, we've picked one from uh, at Def Ducks, who asked, how many of the following do the Ducks need to accomplish in order for it not to be considered a disappointing season? And he had seven criteria, and I'm just going to read through it, and then we can run through um, how many of these we we, we would pick. Um, first, Pac-12 ch- uh, championship game appearance. Second, Pac-12 championship game win. Third, Heisman invite. Fourth, Heisman win. Fifth, playoff invite. Sixth, playoff win. Seventh, national championship. You know, in most years, I was thinking about this earlier, I would have just said, number one, making a conference championship game would be like, I think it's hard for it to be a disappointing season most years. And that was, I think, what we talked about before the year started um, was about if you get to Vegas first first day of December, that's going to be a a successful season. And whatever happens after that is kind of just the cherry on top. But the way this season has gone... And how good this team is, and I truly believe this is like a team that is among the best teams in the country. I think you have to add a couple more here, just from where we are today. Um, again, to start the season, I think just making a conference championship game is is a really good barometer. But I think I would include, based upon where Oregon's at now and just what I've seen from this team, I, I would include number two, which was winning the conference championship. I would include number three, which is getting a Heisman Trophy invite, which frankly feels like a foregone conclusion, barring, and I'm going to knock on wood here because Oregon's been snake bit by this a couple of times, a late season injury. I think Oregon will have a Heisman Trophy invite this year. I think Bo Nix is currently the betting favorite by some books, tied with, or a little bit behind Jaden Daniels and others. Um, we'll get to some of that later. And then I included, uh, if they're going to win the conference championship game, then they should be in the playoffs. So I said one, two, three, and five for specifically where we are in this point in the season. Again, um, you could convince me that after the year we look back and we go, yeah, you know what? It wasn't a disappointment because they still made the conference championship game. They at least crossed that off. But um, 
for this particular team and where they are now, I feel like there's a little bit higher standard to reach just because I, I do think a lot of things are on the table here. Yeah, it's a tough read. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, it's hard to look at a 10-win season and say that was a disappointment. I mean, just like objectively, like that's a very good season. And Oregon has already hit that with one more regular season to, game to go. Um, I think it just, yeah, the the addition for you, Eric, of numbers, num number two specifically is just because it's against Washington. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, uh, in seasons past, if Oregon goes to the Pac-12 championship game and loses to Utah or, I don't know, Arizona, like it's not necessarily looked at as a disappointing season, but you lose to Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, like, yeah, I could see how it can be viewed as a disappointing season, even though they would have been 11-2 and two overall with two losses to one team, um, which is, yeah, I get that's difficult. Um, I And then the playoff invite, I'm not sure, like, in a hypothetical world, like, if Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship game but doesn't get into the college football playoffs but goes to, like, another new year's six bowl and wins that like is that going to be a disappointing season like i don't know i just feel like the the bar is going to con consistently change just based on um what happens in these next two three weeks and i think regardless bo nix is going to get an invite to new york city um will he win it you know we'll find out eventually he's obviously in really good standings right now him and Jaden daniels are you know the two favorites here um but i think regardless like you're going to look back at a couple years and I'm not sure if there's going to be – we'll find out in the next two weeks. So I'm not sure there's going to be any, like, resentment in anyone's tone when they're looking at this season. Like, it's been damn good. They're 10-1. and one. one loss is a close game to Washington. Like, it's going to be a good year no matter what. There's probably just going to be a, you know, kind of, um, you know, what about is in, like, reflection on it. Like, well, what about if they didn't go for fourth down all those times? Or if something happens tragically in the next two weeks, it's going to be the talk about that. Um, but I still think it's going to be a successful season, but I'll give my final answer of one, two, I don't know, one, two, three. I don't, I don't know if we can really hinge it on a, like a, if, it, if they don't get to the playoffs, it's a bad season. I'm not really going to change um, my opinion from the start of the season. One and three. Um, I, I feel like, if, if you accomplish one, that means you beat one of your rivals in Oregon State. Uh, and if you know you don't win the conference championship, it means you're losing to a playoff caliber team. And that's never a disappointment. And I know that hurts for Oregon fans because it's Washington. Sure. And you're 0-2 on the year against Washington, which hurts, which is bad. But that Washington team, just like this Oregon team, is damn good. And they, too, have a Heisman candidate. They, too, have one of the best receivers, if not two of the best receivers in the country. Their offensive line is really good. Uh, the defense, while, yes, they, they are not as good as what Oregon has, like we saw against Oregon State, they rise up and make the plays when they're called upon, and they, they play really good football when the offense isn't clicking on all cylinders that year or that week. Um, so while it would sting, like I'm never really going to be disappointed that Oregon lost to a, a playoff caliber team like that. That's the standard. And, and, and you play at an equal and you lost. It happens. Um, 
I thought Bo would be a Heisman candidate. I didn't think Bo would be this much of a favorite this late in the year. Um, so I'm not going to say winning, you know, not winning it is going to de- you know, define the season, but getting to New York will be important. We'll be, we'll be right on what we've expected. And then everything else, like if you get to the playoffs, it doesn't really matter what happens in the playoffs. If you win a game, it doesn't matter what happens after. If you win the whole thing, yeah, it's st- <laughs> If you don't, you know, if you get to the championship, it's it's a damn good season. Um, and to Jared's point, like I just think this team, we might see one or two guys pull out of a non-playoff bowl game if it's because look, the reality is they beat Oregon State, they get to they get to the Pac-12 championship game. They're playing in the Cotton Bowl, the 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 Fiesta Bowl, or the College Football Playoffs. Like those are the those are the options that that they're that they that they have. And if they lose to Oregon State, I could still possibly see them getting into that Fiesta Bowl type bowl game. Um, but where I was going was, is I still think that this team, even if they don't make the playoffs, we're going to see most of these players play in the bowl game. It's a big enough bowl game. I think you, I think you should tell Bo not to play, but I kind of think he's going to play uh, for Oregon. Um, and I, I, I don't think this team shows up if they don't make the playoffs to a bowl game and is disinterested and is completely just blown out of the water by the opponent that they play. That's just not who this this team is. It's not in their DNA. So I don't think there's going to be a, a non-playoff bowl game blowout loss that ruins the season either. So I, I think it's just one and three. And while I agree with you guys, and I made my point earlier, I I just think it's so hard to thread the needle and have a team that can truly play for a conference or play for a national championship. And I think this team, like, they might be that team. And it's been about a decade since I think you really could say that about Oregon. That Obviously, the 2014 team did play for it. There were some good teams in between. 2019 had its shot. Uh, 2021 had... It shot before it very clearly was proved it wasn't deserving of it. But I, I, this team feels different, which is why, and again, maybe I'm being unfair. I mean, I, I wouldn't in 10 years from now go back and say, oh, what a bummer that year was. But with just how far this team has come and how balanced they are and good they are and, and really just about every aspect, like, yeah, I think the expectations are raised just a little bit just for this team. And, and the big the big difference is to have a quarterback this good and to have him playing at this level. Like, it's just not something that happens. Like, even the Justin Herbert senior season in 2019, like he was really, really good that season. He wasn't this. And this is the closest Oregon's had to a a Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy winner. And statistically, like it, it we're getting close where we could talk about this being better than that season. So those are the reasons I, I included a couple more there while also understanding that like being a rational human and a rational fan of Oregon football, I think you would say like just get to the conference championship game any year is undoubtedly a success. I just think when you have a team like this that I think is proven to be pretty special, you can add a couple of things there um, to the list. All right. Second one from at Jamison White 16. What defensive player or position group needs to play well for us to beat the Beavs? Feels like a lot of Oregon State's rush yards have come between the tackles with Martinez, but I'm also nervous about how mobile DJU is. Hashtag Otson Audibles. He also asked, will the Ducks be Vegas bound? 
pretty simple uh, answer to that question. Uh, win on Friday, and the answer is yes. Lose on Friday, and the answer is kind of probably no, assuming Arizona beats Arizona State because they would have the tiebreaker. But um, hopefully that's not a conversation we're having to explain later in this week. Kept this one pretty simple, um, but player or position group, just the front seven. Um, I think most Oregon fans will probably still have nightmares from last year's game where Oregon State just ran the ball every down over and over again, and Oregon had really no answers for it. Um, and I think the thing, just looking at this Oregon State team in general, is their primary ball carriers are like big, physical, NFL style looking athletes. Like DJU is a 6'5, 250, whatever they list him at, quarterback. Like he is a basically tackling, tackling a defensive end. Um, Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick are both 220, 230 plus pound running backs, and they're like six foot, six two. Like they're big, physical. They're built like linebackers. And so for me, this game is a little different because the three players that will have the ball in their hands the most in the run game in particular are guys you're going to have to get upfield with, be physical, and knock back. Um, that's a little bit of a different challenge in terms of a run offense than what Oregon's had to face this year. So, um, yeah, it's just the front seven in general for me. We can get into more specifics as we go throughout the week. But I also wanted to focus on the fact that, like, the thing that would scare me here if I'm kind of looking at, and there's a couple other things uh, on this pod, um, delving into some kind of matchups, but that that's the area that concerns me is just those big physical players with the football um, and the ability to to push them back and stop them from falling forward. Because if this game becomes a game of inches here, those big, strong, churn kind of players like those three, I think could give Oregon challenges because we haven't really seen it this year. And Oregon at the second level at linebacker is going to be smaller than like just about every one of these guys we're talking about. Yeah, it's the front seven. Um and specifically linebacker. I don't really know if there's any other answers. Um, Oregon State has a very good offensive line. Uh, this is something that we all just kind of come to expect from a Jonathan Smith-led team. It's a good offensive line. Um, it's Elise Fuaga and Josiah Gray, a tackle and a guard. Those are their best like draft-eligible guys. Um, I've seen Fuaga in like the first round. I've seen Gray kind of flirt with the first or second round. Like Those are legitimate NFL prospects. And Damian Martinez is just a sophomore, so he's not a legitimate NFL prospect until next year when he will be a legitimate NFL prospect. And, we, yeah, no, I mean, we all know what happened last year. They blew a 21-point lead because Oregon State just decided to run the ball and Oregon couldn't stop it. Um, Oregon brought in people to try and stop it single-handedly. No, not single-handedly, but their main motive was to not let that happen again. Um, they're linebackers. Every single one of them gained 20 to 25 pounds this offseason. Why? Because of Oregon State. Um, they brought in Justin Jacobs, who's six foot four, 245 pounds. Why? To stop the run, because that's what Oregon State did last year. And that's what they're gonna they're gonna try to do again. Because despite having DJU Young, they're still a run heavy team. And I love DJU. I mean, I'm I love that guy. I think he's so talented, but it just hasn't developed on paper. He had that good freshman season at Clemson and just hasn't happened since. Um, and he's a big boy, and you're going to need big boys to bring him down, just like Eric said. And they're going to be run heavy, though. And if you can stop Oregon State in the first or second down and force them into second and third and long situations, it's going to be better. Because I think Oregon State's weapons along the perimeter last year were better than they are this year. So 
it's all about stopping the run and it's all about the front seven and what the interior guys can do and linebackers filling a and B gaps. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be an absolute physical fest on Friday. I don't really care what position group it is, but stop the run. And, you know, that's Oregon's defense is simulated pressures. And we've seen it come from all over the place, whether it's from a passing situation, but all hands on deck to stop the run. I don't need to go beyond that. That's, you know, the biggest group. That's the biggest thing for this win. Um, make DJU face second and nine, third and eight. Make him have to throw the football because unfortunately for him, the reality is the more often he has to throw the ball, the higher probability a mistake happens. And that's what Oregon wants. If they get to second and four or third and two, those are situations where they can just pound Damian Martinez and Fenwick and run the football really well behind those elite offensive linemen. Exactly. And and one thing that I think is sneaky curious this week is it looked like at the end of that Washington game, DJU hurt his thumb on his throwing hand. I don't know yeah. beyond later on this week. I'll be curious to see what the impact of that could be um, just because he's been good this year. This is statistically, I think probably his best season. I know his completion percentage is a little below where it was to start his career, but 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, He's had some big games, um, but again, to Matt's point and Jared's point, like this is a run first, run second, throw only when you need to kind of offense primarily. And I know they do have some guys downfield who can beat you, but if, if that thumb's a problem, that's that's potentially a pretty big storyline in this game. Okay. Um, any update? Was there any update, Jared, online on, on DJ Houston? Did Jonathan Smith talk about it? I didn't find anything. Well, there's but- also – um, Bloomfield, the the guard. I know he's not a tackle, but one of their starting guards is out for the year against Washington. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough weekend for injuries for a lot of teams. Um, obviously, Florida State being the one that got hit the worst, and that's going to be an interesting storyline that could, in fact, impact Oregon at some level. Okay, third one from at Robbie Parnes. This might be semi-redundant because we just kind of ran through this, but I wanted to touch on a couple of the points he asked. What matchup worries you the most versus Oregon State? DJU as a threat to run, Damian Martinez plus good O-line versus Oregon front seven, and then Camden Lewis versus his own mind, hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, the DJU, I just, I don't know, maybe we, maybe we focused on it enough already, but he's a different kind of running quarterback, and I know he's obviously a very gifted pocket passer, assuming his thumb is healthy, and maybe very gifted as a strong based upon his statistics, but this is a guy who has an absolute cannon for an arm, you know, like that. <laughs> he can really chuck the ball, but I I do worry about just QB centric runs with him and just how big and physical he is. And again, this is maybe the point I made a second ago, just kind of repeated. So apologize if I'm being redundant, but like they're going to have to find a way to, to stop him on those short and short yardage plays like, it's third and two and they run a QB draw and he just gets enough head of steam there and is big enough where all he has to do is fall forward. Like those are the kind of things that worry me. Um, the real answer to this is really just the Damian Martinez component. Like if we're just being honest, like he's to Jared's point going to be an NFL back. And the fact I was looking at his recruiting rankings after the Washington game going like, how, 
how is this guy's like next best offer Georgia Tech? And he's from Texas. Like, how did this guy slip through the cracks? And he's immediately like a dude who's going to be, I don't know where running backs get taken in the NFL, but like when he's draft eligible, I assume this guy's going to be one of the first three, five running backs off the board, I would imagine. Like he is really, really good. So that's the biggest concern to me out of these three points that Robbie brought up. The last one, the Lewis part, I mean, no one feels good about where that's at. So we'll see if that matters. I kind of happen to think there's a chance Oregon creates enough separation that it doesn't come to pass that Camden has to play a part in this game. But last time Oregon played a really tight football game, they weren't able to get to overtime in part because uh, because of his legs. So that part, I think you can't you can't push that one away. You have to acknowledge that's a real concern if this one is close. Yeah, hundred percent. Real concern. Uh, it would have been nice to see him get a field goal off against Arizona State, but there was a bobbled snap, and he didn't get to kick. Uh, he did good on touchbacks, though. He nailed all of his extra points and became the school's uh, career leader in points scored, uh, topping Royce Freeman. I mean, I, I don't know. There's not too much to say about Camden. We've, we've kind of aired out all the, the problems that could persist from Camden Lewis's struggles. Um, he knows it. He's talked about it. Um, this is something that Dan's talked about as well. Um, it's something that needs to get better, especially going into these critical games. Like it, there could be an opportunity, like Eric just laid out, of a important field goal that needs to be hit against Oregon State, or you know, if Oregon gets the conference title game against Washington. Like there are those opportunities, and you need to have faith in your kicker. And there's not a lot that has been shown recently to have faith in your kicker, but. Uh, to go for the biggest, what is this? Biggest position, or excuse me, the biggest matchup. It's just what we talked about. It's the run offense. It's DJU running. It's Damian Martinez. It's Fenwick. It's all these guys running. Um, I, I mean, again, I love DJU. I think he's a great prospect, but he just hasn't put it all together in college football as a quarterback. Um, could see him in the MLB one day because he's got a cannon of an arm, but. Yeah, like the the DJU run part is kind of like Tyler Shuck, but just a bigger, stronger version. I don't know if he's faster. They're probably very similar, um, but he's just bigger and stronger, which always helps. Uh, that, But that's the matchup. Um, obviously, Oregon's wide receivers against uh, Oregon State's defensive backs, I think, is another matchup to watch because those are some good DBs. They're a little undersized, but they're still really good and um, great in press coverage and have great technique, but it's just the run game against Oregon State. That was the narrative last year and it's going to be the one this year as well i guess just to be redundant not to be redundant um i would just be curious to see how much they build around running tju in this game like so much attention is going to be built off of let's stop martinez stop martinez load the box just make him you know make him neutralized and do they then put play action into that with dju and bootleg him out with a run pass option like how many how many design runs does dju get because he he is a massive quarterback he's like 255 pounds or something like that and that's a quarterback that they just have not faced like i know tyler shuck's a big dude but he is nowhere near the, the size of dj and um i just wonder how much you know we always see this late in, late in the year a new wrinkle pops up whether it's Oregon or their opponent and I wonder how much the 
the focus being on Martinez and Fenwick and the Beaver offensive line creates a RPO type bootleg action with DJ. Chuck is the the closest thing, but to your point, Matt, he's 30 pounds, 20 pounds lighter, something like that. Like it's just a little bit of a different animal. So um, the DJU part is really interesting. I was going to say DJU is like Ben Roethlisberger. If he could run. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's legitimately 20 pounds than Justin. Yeah. Like Mateo is a defensive end and he's only like 15, 20 pounds heavier than his brother. Like, they're, they're ginormous people. All right, that's going to do it uh, for the first half of the show. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish up the second half. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back to the Awesome Audible's podcast. Uh, three questions in, two more to go. Fourth run from... First time question asker, my new favorite handle at Mike Hamburger One asks With this last week's game, Knicks and Jaden Daniels seem to be the Heisman Trophy favorites. Do we think Knicks has the edge and the committee will see through LSU's stat padding by leaving him in for the full game? Um, hashtag odds and audibles. I just wanted to pull up the Heisman odds here. Um, there are kind of they're kind of inconsistent in that there are a couple where Bo still is the favorite, but it's sort of did shift over the weekend, which surprised me a little bit just because statistically their games were very, very similar. Like I think from a passing perspective, basically identical. I think Jaden Daniels was 24 for 29 for over 400 yards and six touchdowns. And Bo was 25 for 30 for over 400 yards and six touchdowns. Jaden did run two in. Um, to me, I'm, I've been thinking about this a little bit. What, what the case is or or not for Bo here. And some of some of what I've been thinking about is when the third, you know, Vegas betting odds candidate here is Michael Penix, still. Um, and by the way, not he's not out of this by any means, like still very much in it if you if you look at these Vegas odds. Like it it's kind of a three-player race with with Bo and Daniels a, a neck ahead. How does the West Coast voting split go? Like I think that's the that's the case for both Bo and Michael is you better be the decisive best quarterback on the West Coast because there's going to be the SEC group it seems like is is caping pretty hard for Jaden Daniels and the Big Ten guys are they're talking about Marvin Harrison and maybe they'd like to sort of uh, support future members of the conference in some strange way I don't know if that'll really factor factor into it but the part that I'm interested in is. What does the West Coast do here with, with two legitimate candidates? And that's why I think if there is a head-to-head in Vegas, that's that's what might decide this whole thing. Because if one of them can decisively A, win the game and outplay the other and leave no shadow of a doubt who's the pick for the West Coast guys, I think that gives 
whichever one of those players it is, the real edge. But if it comes out and you're like, I don't know, and there's a split still, and maybe Knicks enters the game as the, the favorite, but Penix outplays him, but Knicks Oregon wins. I don't know. You create all these weird scenarios. You could see that sort of impacting the voting here because, like I said, I think the Southeast seems pretty far behind their, their guy down there, Daniels. And statistically speaking, as good of a season Bo Nix is having, Jaden Daniels is just like slightly, slightly better, albeit on a team that's already lost three games. Yeah, the three losses for LSU certainly hurts his case. But yeah, no, he's been incredible this season. And the reason he has a slight advantage, at least in the odds, is because he can run the ball. He's got 1,000 yards on the ground already and thirty, almost 3,600 passing yards. Here's what Jaden Daniels has done the last two games. 785 passing yards, 330 rushing yards, nine passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, and a completion percentage of 75%. Like, dude's putting up video game numbers, and LSU is winning, and that's an electric offense, and he's hitting guys deep down the field. And honestly, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I am surprised with how meteoric he's risen in the Heisman rankings because it looked like, oh, like – he's having a Heisman caliber season. And then last three weeks, he's jumped up to number one in some of the books and number two in other books and ahead of Michael Penix in all of them. So I think that's pretty interesting. I think there's a real push to get him the Heisman. I'm not, um, I'm not exactly sure why. I think it's because this year there's not like a very clear candidate. There's no, elite quarterback on like an elite name brand team like a Georgia or a Alabama or Ohio State like there has been in years past with with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and other guys like that where it's like okay you have your biggest Heisman candidates and they're all on the East Coast and that's you know unfortunately for Oregon that's just how it goes is the East Coast bias so I do think that the Pac-12 title game if Oregon gets into it against Washington is certainly going to be a determining factor. Um, earlier in the year when Washington beat Oregon and Michael Penix had that game-winning drive, that was his Heisman moment. And he jumped into the lead in all of the Heisman odds. And again, these are just odds. They're not nothing set in stone, nothing like that. But you know, he jumped up uh, quite a lot and was the huge prohibitive favorite at that point. But weeks have gone by and it hasn't looked as good. And if there's a moment on the title or during the title game where either Knicks or Penix has this moment where they lead the team down the field, they score a touchdown or one just significantly outperforms the other one, then yeah, one of those guys could easily take over for Jaden Daniels because he won't be playing in the SEC championship game. And if it's, if it comes down to both quarterbacks played excellent, like let's say it's like a 45 to 42 point win for either team. I think whoever was on the winning side of that game will probably be the prohibitive favorite at that point. So I think it's just the book bookmakers, you know, they're, they're running the hot hand of Jane Daniels at this point. Uh, they were running the hot hand of Bo Nix the last two weeks as he went up through the rankings. But I think it'll really honestly all be decided on championship game Saturday because Jane Daniels will not be playing and Bo Nix and Michael Penix might be playing. Yeah, if, if Bo Nix has big games this weekend and then if they win and next weekend in the Pac-12 championship game against Washington, his odds will go back up. Um, there's not much more to say. He's playing two top 15-ish teams next two weeks. And 
One of them will be on Friday night with everyone watching across the country. The next one would be on a Friday night with everyone in the country watching. Um, and Jaden Daniels plays Texas A&M, who can't ever get over the eight-win hump. And that's that. Their season is done. And there's something to be said. Daniels' numbers are absolutely bonkers. Uh, like Almost 1,200 yards rushing is just crazy for a quarterback. Um, he's obviously thrown for a lot, too. But there's something to be said in a voter's eyes. And I'm not a voter. None of us are. Yeah. Um, but there's something to be said when you're not playing and your counterpart is playing in a big game and having a big moment. Like, that kind of overcomes a lot of the big stats of what you did against Georgia State in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, Jared and I were talking about it at, at ASU. Like, how long does Bo Nix stay in the game? Does he come out to start the, the third quarter? The press box was a little like mixed on what should happen, and he he ended up playing that first drive. And when they didn't score, I almost kind of thought we might see him again because of how quick it went. But the fact that he's going to be playing against top fifteen opponents, one of them will be a top five opponent, and playing for a conference championship. If Bo Nix has big games, he does. From a statistical average standpoint, what he's done the last three or four weeks over the next two, he's probably going to go in as the odds-on favorite. And to Jared's point, like I won't be the you know, clear-cut favorite to win, but he'll be the, probably viewed as the favorite. I think Jaden Daniels' best case would honestly be if both Knicks and Penix had bad games in the conference championship. Yeah. Like if, it, if it's visibly like it's the oh, reverse, yeah, exactly. Because to your point, yeah, like everybody's going to be watching that that particular game, and LSU is going to be back home hanging out in Baton Rouge. And if if it's a net negative for either candidate, that probably hurts. I don't know this is going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to follow. It's cool for Oregon to have someone legitimately in this race um, for the first time again in about a decade since Mariota mm. won it in 2014. There have been some players who've had great individual seasons, but. Nobody who was like really even in the betting picture this late in the season since. So um, be fun to see what happens. All right. Last I think okay. I have one more thing on it real quick. I think the race reminds me a lot of when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman. Like that was a, a team that finished nine and four. And but the other candidates to win the Heisman just it wasn't as strong as in like years previous. It was kind of like a, a shift in between uh, gaps in college football at the quarterback position, but Lamar also put up incredible stats. You know, he was like 3,400 yards passing with 20 plus touchdowns, and then he was like 15, 1,600 yards in the ground with 16 to 20 touchdowns. Like he was incredible in both ways. But I looked it up; he was going against Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield. Like D.D. Westbrook finished fourth in the Heisman like <laughs> standings wow. that year. Like. And then you jump to the next season, and then it's like the full Baker, Baker Mayfield effect at Oklahoma. Um, fun fact, Bryce Love did finish second that year in Heisman voting. So that's a bit of an outlier as well. But then you have Saquon Barkley, and then there's Jonathan Taylor. And they're like, you can see guys moving up where it's like, okay, they're in their sophomore, now they're in their junior season. Um, I think that's just kind of the case this time around. But And that's not to diminish whoever wins it. But uh, I think it's kind of in that weird world where – there was no clear leader coming into the season. 
and there's still no clear leader now. But that's what's fun. That's what's been fun about this entire football season is that there's just kind of chaos at the top, kind of, even though the top six has been the same for the last month. But there's chaos in college football, so it's fun. Uh, it's way better than the usual, like, I don't know, like Bama and Ohio State, but anyway, but that's happening anyways. So not a lot of chaos. Bryce Love. Man, that Bryce was Love. a minute. That was a minute. Incredible he, stats, too. He had 2,000 yards, I think. Yeah, 2,100 yards, averaged 8.1 yards a carry with 19 touchdowns. Yeah, I don't know. And then he came back the next year and I think ran, he got hurt. And I don't know. That was a really weird career because it was like Stanford could do no wrong at running back. And it just felt like he was the next big one. And then I don't even know if he got much of a sniff at the next level. And he came point. back for his senior year, played in 10 games for 739 yards. So yeah. literally like 1,400 shy of what he did the year before incredible weird career but yeah there was a moment there where everybody was like all on the bryce love is is he the best player in college football bandwagon and then yeah and then here we are i don't i hadn't thought about that and it, had, it wasn't even that long ago it was like what was that 2017 yeah like six or seven years ago yeah and i hadn't thought of that guy since okay um let's close out the show with a question from at ben machuka 08 with the reports of a potential Chip Kelly firing, what do you think the chances are of Dante Moore transferring to Oregon? And if so, would you have a chance to start over a tie in 2024? Hashtag Audibles. Um, let's address this, the, the Dante Moore part first, and then maybe have like a little powwow about where things are for Oregon quarterback in 2024. I'm going to, I'm going to switch up the order here because Matt is always goes third. And uh, I'm gonna check and see with him first, Matt. Do you? What are your thoughts on the Dante Moore Oregon kind of rumors? Because they have been circulating. Um, incomplete, because we don't know who else is available yet. I my my personal opinion right now, no. Don't go after him. Um, he's really good, but Ty Thompson has improved. You brought in. Austin Novosad, who was regarded as a highly regarded recruit, he's got, he needs time. That's that's very clear. He needs to develop. But you've also got uh, Van Buren. You've also got Moga. And you've got Achilles Smith Jr. in the fall in 2025. And you're going to add a player who could potentially have three more seasons of college football to the, to the mix. Um, I would prefer if they go portal – Find the guy that's going to be a proven college player. Um, find the guy that's got one or two years left of eligibility. Um, or if, if it is someone that's uh, a, a freshman or you know someone that's a little bit younger, like Ehlers at Penn State would be someone that I would, you know, I don't know if he's going into the portal or not, but like if, if, if you're going to bring in a freshman transfer portal, QB, Get one that's actually playing and playing at a high level. Dante Moore has not played at a high level this season. He's had moments where he's looked really good, but he's had also moments that are atrocious. And I don't think you look at adding him and it says we're instantly better next season. You kind of where you're at right now. You've already got the this guy could Pretty be good. really good in Ty Thompson. Oh yeah, I I am. Um... I'm all in favor of it. <laughs> like, I think Dante Moore has a, a real chance to be special. And I know that he's had his ups and downs this season, 
But I think that's more of a situational thing at UCLA than anything else because that's a bad offensive line. That's an interesting head coach philosophy. Um, that's a situation where they need to be a run-heavy team but don't have a running back who's really uh, the A1 guy like they've had the last couple of years with Zach Charbonnet. I like Carson Steele. I think he's a good player. But um, a lot of that falls onto the quarterback. And Dante Moore's been hurt a lot this season. Um, there just seems to be something going on there. And I think, you know, ultimately last season, Oregon made the choice to t take another year of Bo Nix than to take on Dante Moore. And I think that's absolutely the correct call. Um, but I still think that Dante Moore has the chance to be incredibly successful. Um, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks who have the chance to be incredibly successful in Oregon's system under Will Stein as long as he's still here going into next year. Uh, because it's an easy system for a quarterback to read. And, you know, that's the that's some of the the – the hit on Bo and then Heisman candidacy is that it's an easy offense and that he's not throwing the ball down the field and stuff like that. It's like, sorry, it works. I don't know what else you want him to do. And I think right. if you put Dante Moore behind a good offensive line with good weapons, which Oregon will also need to jump into the transfer portal for this off season. Um, I think he can do well. I think he's one of the more naturally gifted throwers of a football that I've seen in a long time. Um, he's right. Like, he's honestly right about there with DJU and like what I've seen from a prospect at a high school, just, just guys who can throw the ball with ease. Um, I really like him. And if I'm Oregon and he wants to come and pick him up because yeah, like you don't have a clear answer right now because as much as Ty Thompson has improved, there's still moments during games where you're like, Hmm, that wasn't great. There's flashes. It's all the potential flashes. It's the, Touchdown pass to Casey Kelly, and then a couple of plays later, it's the inability to feel the pressure off of his backside and get hit in the arm and then throw an interception. So I think still, regardless, Oregon needs to go in and look for a big-time transfer portal quarterback. Uh, that's just been my take. It's my take from the beginning of the year. It's my take now. Uh, when there's a big name who ultimately enters, who's proven and has been a good quarterback at wherever they were before, you go after them. You go after them hard because developing quarterbacks is nice, but you don't necessarily need to do it anymore. Yeah, I've been in the same boat. I, you have to get a portal guy, I think, just to feel confident in, in, in where you're at at the position. Um, and whether or not Dante Moore, A, wants to go to Oregon, because I don't know if Chip Kelly's going to get fired anymore. Um, they just beat their rival. They play Cal this week. That would – it's a game they should win to get to eight wins. Um, if they really just don't want to start Big Ten play with him as their coach, I get it. Um, I also would say like the last two years, he's what averaged about nine wins per season. That's that's pretty good for UCLA football. Like, it's been a long time since UCLA has been much more than that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be curious to see what happens there and, and, and how does that impact Dante's decision making. But if he's available to Jared's point, I, I do think you take him. And I mean, Matt also made the point of like, if there's other guys out there, like, sure, take a look. Like, if, if, there are, if there's a, a better, more veteran guy, like, yeah, absolutely. But I think Moore's skill level in this town is really, really high. And I think it would be worth bringing him in. Now, the point I've made, and that kind of is interesting, is if they do add a transfer quarterback, everybody currently on the roster this year, plus the two freshmen they're signing, that's five scholarship. It's a lot. That's too a many. big number. So that's where it's like, I assume if they're bringing in a guy who's leaving because 
Is Ty leaving before? I mean, he waited three years. He's not leaving like before they make a decision, I don't think. Like, he didn't play this thing out. He's been patient for a reason. Um, and I don't think Austin Novosad just wants to bounce. Like, Will Stein is like one of his coaches who's been around him the longest. And then you have the two right. that are coming in. So I just go, that's, that, that's the part where the math doesn't quite compute for me. But I do think they owe it to themselves to improve that position. They definitely would do so by adding a player from the portal. Yeah, I'm not against adding a portal player. I would just want to know who are you picking Dante Moore over before you, you take Dante Moore. Because if a more proven player arrives into the portal, that should be the guy over Dante Moore. Um, find a guy that's done it before over a guy that's potentially done it. And that's kind of what the portal has been. That's what Oregon's targets have been historically under Dan Lanning in the portal is going and finding guys that have produced at, at a level already. And then it just translates over to Oregon. Like I can't, how many guys has Oregon added where they've, they've said, we think this guy could be really good down the road. He hasn't shown it yet. He's going to be, he's going to be good. And it paid off. Like almost every one of their ads has, has been an, a starter level guy from the portal. And I know Dante Moore is a starter level guy, but he's just been up and he's been so up and down that like, yes, his, his measurables are really good. His high school tape is really good, but are you picking him over a proven quarterback? That's also in the portal. I don't, I don't know. I would, I would think they would take the proven guy, but I'm not Dan Manning and we'll start. The, the portal part. I mean, Bucky wasn't super proven when they took him. Like, right. been guys. Been like, like Tez or Noah, like guys who are moving up a division in college football that are unproven. But go ahead, Eric. Oh, no, that was the only point I was going to make was like I was going to point to Bucky as a guy who was like, we didn't really know what he was and he's been awesome. But to Matt's point, like, yeah, I mean, if, if there is like, I don't know, people have thrown around Cam Ward's name. Like if Cam Ward was available. Like, would you take Cam Ward or would you take Dante Moore? It's a good question because I like Cam Ward too. I, I like mean, him a lot. And he, against Oregon, and he's had games this season where he's looked pretty special. He's been he's been up and down as well. Um, yeah. and, but he's a proven guy. I just – I would like to know what the philosophy is from Will Stein on what are the, you know, like the top three things he's looking for in a potential transfer transfer quarterback. Like, is he confident in his development skills where he doesn't need like an overall really established guy or does he need one of them where it's like, I need you to come in and know how to make checks and write the ship for a year or two max. So that's a good question. I think I would lean Cam Ward, but boy, do I love me some Dante more. And then I had just one last question on this. How would we feel if they didn't add a portal quarterback? How would we feel if it was just we're all in on Ty? It's a risk. Yeah. I mean, you're banking on Ty Thompson being the guy. And he's looked improved and is currently, with who's on roster, the odds on favor to win the job. But I don't know if that's going to be good enough to get you 10 wins again next season. I don't know. I, I mean, he's, he's looked at times really, really good. And then he still is you still have the past two years of what he has done on on film in your head mm -hmm. and 
that's a really big risk. And that's why I think they should go portal and they should find a guy that is going to elevate the, the room. But you you have at least some kind of confidence that, hey, at, at minimum, he's able to get us to – you know, nine and three, ten and two, type type level. I think Ty has all the measurables that you that you need of a quarterback. It's just oh, yeah. like we've said for three years. Can he process things quickly enough and make the right decisions and and make the plays? Um, this season he has, but the last two he he hasn't. So I, I would be scared if they didn't. I'd be I wouldn't be scared, but I, I'd be shocked if they didn't add a quarterback. They just rolled with who they had. I think it would be, yeah. I was just going to say I would be too, but go ahead, Jared. I think it'd be a bad decision. Like as clear as day. Um, I really like Ty too. Uh, He falls into the DJU boat with me where Mm -hmm. all the physical measurables are there. He can throw a a pigskin a quarter mile. Um, He can do anything on the football field at practice. Yeah. But – what happens when you get him into a game? And yeah, he's looked good this year. And I think it's, you know, it's a product of his improvement over the course of the season and his development under Kenny Dillingham and Will Stein, because I don't think he got that much under the previous regime in their quarterback philosophy. So I was put it like that. And but there's still he still makes some interesting decisions during a game, even this year. Yeah. And that's in very limited snaps too. And again, I like Ty. I think he's a good kid. I think it's incredibly respectful that he has not hit the transfer portal like so many other players have over the course of their careers. But that being said, they need a transfer quarterback. They need somebody who's proven. They need to get him in the portal. Um, Again, I really love Dante Moore, but yeah, if you give me like a proven guy who started at X school for two years, I'd rather have him than Dante Moore. And I'd rather have that fantasy player than Ty Thompson, because I still think that there's a lot of question marks and he's looked good again in a small sample size this season, looked pretty good against ASU, but there's still some things there where I don't even know if it's the, uh, you know how we've watched him the past two seasons, or is it more just I just don't think it's clicked yet, and it's kind of like Dante Manning, where it clicks for one game and then may not click for the next one. So that's my take. I'm happy you made the DJU comparison because I I made that same one to a friend. Not obviously they're not entirely same prospect, but the physical tools are you can't, you can't miss them. I mean, it's so obvious how gifted Ty is physically, and then. One of the one of the few things I really enjoy watching at practice these days is just him warming up with long toss and just yeah no it's incredible you can just fling it like sixty plus yards like it's nothing you know mm-hmm. um, but sometimes the guys that do that maybe don't do a lot of the other things so well and that's that's it's like Joe Moulton at Tennessee sure I've never seen an arm like his throw a football it's like it's incredible like and, and yeah like Dante and it's just. There are there are great highs and an unbelievable level of highs when those things connect, but it's the little things. It's the checks. It's the reads. It's the reading of defenses. It's what makes Bo Nix so damn good is because he can do all the little things and then may not be the best at all the other things, but it's pretty damn good. But because he can do the little things, he's damn good overall. 
All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting the questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back tomorrow with a preview, early preview of Oregon versus Oregon State with Dan Lanning player comments. Uh, Wednesday, we'll have Angie Machado on from Beaver Blitz. And then Thursday on Thanksgiving, you guys will get uh, a pregame show where we make our picks and some bold predictions as well. All that coming up this week here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.